Well, hello and welcome to Milton Bible Church Online. We're so excited that each and every one of you have decided to watch with us here today. If you'd like to get connected at any point, you can head on over to www.nbc.life where you can find many different ways to get connected. Today, we're so glad that we get a chance to worship together and to hear from God's word as we continue on in our sermon series. Let's worship together. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious song And sung by flaming tongues above the mountain fix upon it mount of thy redeeming love I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me I was bound by all my sin when your love came and rescued me now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me. And I'll never be alone. Come thou found, come thou king. Come thou precious prince of peace.
Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old man knew. Jesus, when I met you, you called my name. Into your glorious day, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy. Chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. Cause when you call my name. I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness. Into your glorious day. Welcome to Milton Bible Church Online, one church family in many homes. It's great to be gathering this way. And if this is your first time viewing with us, uh, we're really glad that you're here. We're glad everybody's here. And it's just great to be together. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Louvre in Paris, the art gallery, and I was able to see one of the most famous, maybe the most famous painting in the entire world, the Mona Lisa. This is how the Mona Lisa is described. The Mona Lisa is a half-length portrait painting by an Italian artist, Leonardo da Vinci. It's considered an archetypal masterpiece of the Italian Renaissance. It has been described as the best known, the most visited, the most written about, the most sung about, the most parodied work of art in the world. The painting's novel qualities include the subject's enigmatic, enigmatic expression, the monumentality of the composition, the subtle modeling of forms, and the atmospheric illusionism. On top of that, they say that no matter where you are in the room, if you look at the Mona Lisa, it seems as if she is staring right at you. Well, I was able to go into this very large room one afternoon, and uh, in which there were hundreds of people there. And the Mona Lisa is not a super large picture. It's about 21 inches by about 30 inches. So it's not a huge picture. Well, there was hundreds of people in the room, in this large room, and there was a barrier or a barricade set up about 20 feet away, so you couldn't get too close. Well, what happened was kind of an interesting observation of human behavior. Some people worked their way to the front of the crowd and then they stood there and they studied the Mona Lisa, you know, for ages. Others 
walked up to the front, turned around, took a selfie, and without even looking at the picture, they walked out again, <coughs> barely even seeing the Mona Lisa. I did worm my way to the front of, uh, <coughs> of the crowd, and I stood there, and I looked at the Mona Lisa. And Mona Lisa looked at me. And for a moment, we locked eyes. Then, after standing there for a couple of minutes, I really didn't get what all the fuss was about. And so I turned around and I made my way out of the crowd. Well, today, we're continuing a series called Living on the Other Side of Easter, Living in the Victory of the Cross. And the purpose of the, the series is really to help us understand what it means to live in the victory of the cross. And so today, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at the cross. We're going to look at something called the atonement. And inside the atonement in the New Testament, there are four pictures, four pictures that are painted for, uh, to help us understand what happened on the cross of Christ, what the atonement is all about. Those four pictures are propitiation, redemption, justification, and reconciliation. And those four words are really word pictures that are in the New Testament in order to help us understand what it is that really happened on the cross and why it's important to us. And so we're going to look at those today. So, uh, the purpose of these pictures, really, and the whole point of what we're trying to get across during this series is for each of us to understand the depths of the love of God, how much God really loves us, what it meant for him to go to the cross, die for us, be raised from the dead into new life, and thereby us put, placing our faith in him, we live that life with him in victory. And how does that all work? And what does that all really mean? Because sometimes it's not always easy to get a picture and to understand what this picture is really about. And some of us, if I say words like atonement, propitiation, justification, redemption, reconciliation, uh, you can say, Jim, you've lost me. I really don't get this. And I don't want you to walk away from these pictures and not understand how much God loves you. He does. So you're ready to do some viewing in uh, God's uh, art gallery? Let's take a look at it. Well, the first thing I want you to understand is the atonement and what that word means. It's very simple. What it means is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. What Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. That's a definition that Wayne Grudem, a theologian, has tossed out a very simple working definition of the atonement. And as I said before, the New Testament really paints four pictures of that salvation and how that is worked out in four vivid imagery. So let's get right into the first one. The first one is probably the hardest, propitiation. And the word propitiation means to propitiate somebody means to appease or to pacify his anger. So what this picture really is, this picture is a picture taken at the temple courts. And we walk into the temple courts, into the sacred precinct of the holy temple. And we come into the presence of, uh, that for some of us, we really don't understand the sacrifice of animals. We see priests um, who are involved in that. We see uh, religious rituals that are happening. And we say to ourselves, okay, how, how, how does this work? And what does this word propitiation really have to do with anything? What's the significance of all this ritual? And what difference does it make to us today? Well, let me read from Romans chapter 3, 
Because here the word propitiation is used in this passage and it helps us to understand what uh, the New Testament means by this word picture. It says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has manifested itself apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So in other words, the righteousness of God is manifested, made visible, wants us to see what the righteousness of God is. And verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In John, John in his writings talk about propitiation this way. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And 1 John 4, 10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what does that mean? This is probably one of the more the complex theological uh, terms. So I want to spend a little more time on this one. But I want you to understand it because it's so wonderful once we really get the picture. So let me explain it and then I'm going to illustrate it. Listen, if there's one thing that God hates, and one thing that he hates above anything else, it's sin. And from the days of Adam, mankind has been separated from God because of sin. God takes sin with the utmost seriousness. God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. It must be atoned for. And this atonement is achieved by God's Son, Jesus Christ. It is by Jesus taking the sin of the world, past, present, and future, upon himself, that he removes the offense of sin and wrath from the elect and in the presence of a holy God. And so in the cross is where we see the wrath and mercy of God meet. And God is able to be both just and justifier of the ungodly. That is the explanation of propitiation. But let me illustrate it because I really want to drive this home. Let me say this. I hate cancer. My father died of prostate cancer. My mother has leukemia, a form of cancer. She is a breast cancer survivor. I don't know if you know that 30% of the people that die every year in Canada die from cancer. To put it in a pandemic perspective, last year or, or since the pandemic began, in Canada, we have lost about 23,400 to 500 uh, people um, have died from COVID-19. In 2020, 83,500 people died from cancer. In other words, you are four times more likely to die of cancer than you are to die from COVID-19. Cancer is a disease that riddles the body of of. Of, of, of people and, and is the greatest killer in our country, bar none. Did you hear me say that I hate cancer? Sin is a cancer that leaves families destroyed, that leaves people crying at gravesides, that makes orphans and widows and widowers and, and creates broken hearts and leaves families and people devastated. 
God, more pain is wrought by sin than by anything else. And God hates sin. So what did God do? God the Father gave up his son, Jesus Christ, to bear all the cancer, all the cancer of sin that has ever diseased this earth, past, present, and future. All of the evil, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the sorrow, everything that hell could possibly dish out is what Jesus Christ bore on the cross in order to destroy the effects and the power of sin over humanity. That is what Christ has done on the cross so that we are no longer a people under wrath because of God's hatred towards sin, but we are a people who have been made the sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus became the cancer of sin so that sin and death would no longer have a hold on us. And the wrath of the Father was appeased as the cancer of sin finally had a cure. That is what happened at the cross. And when you think of what Christ has done for you and for me, how does that make you feel in your relationship with God? It's only at the cross of Christ that I truly understand the depths of God's love for me. It's only as I understand what Jesus took upon himself at the cross in order to appease the Father's hatred of sin, which I true, which I totally get, the sin of cancer upon humanity. And Jesus took every part of that upon himself so that we would be set free from that power of sin and death over us. And at the same time, appease the Father so that we're no longer children of wrath, but children of God. That's what propitiation means. And that is what Christ did on the cross of Christ. Do you know how much he loves you? Do you really know how much the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love you? That's the first picture of the atonement, of the saving work of Christ on the cross. Let's go to the second picture. At the second picture, we see the word redemption. At its most basic meaning, it means to redeem or to buy back. To redeem or to buy back. So now we're moving from the temple courts. We're moving to the marketplace. We're really moving into the ancient market of the Greco-Roman world in which slaves were purchased in order to be set free, in which prisoners of war who were held for ransom their ransom was paid and they were set free. And that is the context. That is the picture that is being painted here in the New Testament. In either case, whether it's a slave being set free or whether it's a captured prisoner of war, in either case, the redemption involved freeing someone for a price. The picture required to purchase the liberation of a prisoner of war or a slave and that purchase price was called a ransom. And we're familiar with the idea of a ransom. You know, money that's demanded for uh, the case of a kidnapping. Like, we, we get that. That's a, that, unfortunately, is a part of our culture. But we also understand that liberation comes at a cost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, it says this, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And Romans chapter 6, verse 22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. John Stott, in his book called The Cross of Christ, reminds us that there's a price which, which, with which we are ransomed. As we've already seen, liberation for a prisoner of war or for a slave, meant that there was a cost involved. 
there was a payment of a ransom. In other words, redemption on the human level was very costly. And redemption in the Bible was costly too. You see, the son, Jesus, did not have to come into the world, but he did. And the scripture says that in the fullness of time, when the time was right, he left heaven's glory and became fully a man, the God-man who walked the earth. And his life was a life of tribulation, isolation, alienation, suffering, and pain. And what Christ did uh, for us, his suffering, it didn't simply begin at Gethsemane, but at his incarnation and in his whole life. And in his own painful sacrificial death is the price for our ransom lives from the kingdom of darkness to bring us into the kingdom of light. Christ paid for our freedom with everything that he had. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Christ's suffering was enough to pay for all of your sins? That the sins past, present, or future are already covered? That we can live in the victory of sins forgiven, sins paid for, life set free, and to enter into that fullness of life in Christ, with Christ, through the victory of the cross. Do you believe that he is a sufficient savior worthy of all of your trust? So will you now and always rely on him with your whole heart for your complete salvation? That's the second picture, the picture, picture of redemption. Let's take a look at the third picture, and that's a picture of justification. Justification. Justification means <clears throat> that a right standing before God has been bestowed upon us. A right standing before God has been bestowed upon us. So where we find ourselves now in this picture, we find ourselves in a new frame. We've been in the temple court, We've been in the marketplace. Now we find ourselves in the, in the court of law. And what we see is justification is the declaration that someone is in the right or is not guilty of wrongdoing. It is the declaration that someone is righteous. It is not the making of someone righteous. That is sanctification. <laughs> It is the declaration of a right standing before God. And the opposite of justification, of course, is condemnation. And condemnation is not the making of someone guilty. It is the declaration that someone is guilty. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called, called according to his purpose. And many of us know that verse. Many have memorized it. We hang on to it. Yeah, if we've been called by God, you know, whatever we're going through, it's, it's, for, his, it's for our good in his glory. It's according to his, if we're living according to his purpose. But the underlying foundation of that is in the verses following. Listen to verse 29. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in other words, um, the writer of Romans is saying, this is how salvation works. This is the progression of it. You know, understand that all things work together for good, but understand that God has saved you, that he has predestined you, that he has called you, that he has, he has, he has justified you. And if he's justified you, yeah, he, he's, he's going to glorify you. It's an absolutely spectacular statement. It's a picture of the way that God works in our lives for his purpose and for his glory. No condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God is angry with you today? Do you think God is angry with you today? Do you feel condemned when you walk out of church? Or do you feel justified and declared righteous? Depending on how you answer that question, you may be going to the wrong church. I remember in times past, preachers making me feel so low that as I walked out of the building, I didn't even need to open the door. I could have walked right under it. I felt so small. Why does Christianity have a reputation for being a culture of condemnation instead of a culture of justification? Why does the church have such a huge history of legalism and judgment against the world and against those within the church when the picture of salvation is declared righteous. If Christ bore all the guilt of my sin and your sin and all the wrath of God against sin and the penalty of death, what we deserved, then will God ever turn his wrath upon us, his children? When we understand that Jesus, his son, the, the, the beloved of the Father was given and died on the cross and bore our sin and appeased the wrath of God and took everything that hell could throw at him. And if that is what the Father and the Son have done through the power of the Holy Spirit, do you really think that the Father would turn around and say, you are now condemned, bash, 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 out of a fit of anger? Do you really think that is the picture that is being painted here? Absolutely not. But that is sometimes the picture that is conveyed to others. That is not who God is to his children. And that is not who a righteous father, a human father, is to his own children or to his own family. Now understand this. The Lord disciplines those he loves, as any good father would do. But it is not out of wrath. It is not out of, out of a, a, a spirit of judgment and condemnation. It is for our good and for his glory. He does not turn on us in wrath and condemnation. And understand this, church, neither should we do that with others. Neither should we do that with one another, and neither should we. That is just not the picture that God paints of his great salvation in our lives. That is not how we live out the victory that's found in Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the fourth and the last picture. This is kind of the favorite picture that most people love it's a picture that is around the word reconciliation. Reconciliation is a picture of the home and it's a picture of the family. Let me define it for you. Reconciliation means to restore a relationship or to renew a friendship. And as I said before, this is the most popular picture of all four of these pictures of the atonement, the saving work of Christ on the cross through his life and through his death. It's the picture of home. So we've left behind the temple courts. We've left behind the marketplace. We've left behind the court of law. And now we enter into our own home, where our own family's there, where our friends have gathered, where we're about to share our meal. It's a picture of warmth and acceptance of love and encouragement. It is a picture of how God uh, of what Christ has done for us and living in the victory of the cross. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. It says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. 
Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, in those two verses, reconciliation is mentioned three times, so it's almost as if um, the writer of Romans can't mention it enough. We've been reconciled. We've been reconciled. It's a home. It's a family. It's where we gather together in love uh, as God's children. It's a fabulous picture of the victory of the cross. You see, reconciliation points out that once we were enemies with God, but now because of what Christ has done on the cross, we are his daughters and we are his sons. You see, reconciliation is the opposite of alienation. You know, many people these days don't, uh, they know what it means to be alienated. They know what it means to feel isolated. We have people that live in what you could call economic alienation. They say that the gap between the rich and the poor is growing. And, and, and it's just, and it's getting worse. And in this pandemic, how many have lost their businesses, their homes, their livelihoods, and they have felt, you know, as they've watched big business and, 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 you know, and some thrive, they've suffered greatly and they know what it is to be, to be economically alienated. Then there's political alienation. In this day, we've just seen this great divide and this huge tension between the left and the right, between different ideologies. And we understand, we see political alienation. We see racial alienation. We see people marching in the streets because demanding justice and equality. There's a sense of powerlessness. Understand that these people do not feel at home with the power structures, the materialism, the emptiness, and the superficiality of the Western world, even the Western church. On the contrary, they feel unfulfilled and disoriented, unable to find themselves or their identity or their freedom in these constructs. So, you know, it's no wonder that when our indigenous peoples in Canada sought to make peace with the country of Canada, do you know what they called it when they called them to the table? They called it the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Reconciliation. It paints a picture of coming together as a family, coming together and being made one. That's the meaning of the atonement. It alludes to the event through which God and human beings previously alienated from one another through Jesus Christ and the cross and what he has done are now made one together, family together. You see, living on the other side of Easter is to know that Jesus would give his life so that you and I can fully know the love of God and the freedom that God provides, freedom from sin, freedom to live a life fully in him through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the fullness of relationship with the Son, bringing honor to the Father, that he would bear our sin, our pain, our suffering, and all that hell could bring upon him to appease the Father's wrath, his hatred for sin, that the Father would redeem you with the highest price that's ever been paid for a ransom, that the Father would declare you righteous, justified, standing before him, fully accepted, no condemnation, not angry at you, but only for you, that you have been redeemed, bought with a price, and his very life, his very life that he gave means that you now belong to him, and that now you are fully reconciled into his family, so that he is your father, Jesus is our brother, the Spirit of God comes to live within us and through us, 
and enables us to walk in the fullness of that relationship and to live in the victory of the cross. That is what the atonement is all about. That is what Christ did on the cross. That is what living on the other side of Easter means. And that is what it is to live in the fullness of victory. And I'll tell you, this is, this is you know what we're about at Milton Bible Church? We're about a people who say, you know what? None of us have it all together. And all of us have stuff that we bring to the table. All of us have struggles. All of us have pain. All of us have difficulties. But we have a God in heaven who loves us, who promises to bring us the victory in this life and in the life to come. And do you know what we're all about? We're all about just coming together and doing this journey together with the guidance and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're about. And so let me ask you a question, because this is all I want to do from this talk. I just want you to understand how much God loves you. I want you to understand how much God is for you what he has done and gone through so that you might live the fullness of life and the abundant life that he provides. Let me ask you, is your relationship with God a little broken, a little bent, a little discouraged, a little down? You feel a little alienated, a little separated? Well, I'll tell you, now is the time to give thanks. Now is the time to draw near. Now is the time to come back to the foot of the cross and to look at the love of God and all that he has done for us and to respond with love in our own hearts and live fully for him. To say, you know what? We no longer belong to ourselves. We've been bought with a price. We belong to you, Jesus, and we want to live fully for you, follow you, obey you, glorify you, live the fullness of life that is promised in Christ, both in this life and in the next. That's what we're after. That's the point of this whole series, living in the victory of the cross. And so the first session, you know, you know, we've just talking, we're talking about the love of God, the grace of God. Last week, Chris uh, kind of got all our, our attention, uh, Chris McLean, when he talked about the grace of God and he talked about that, big Sunday called the Knickerbocker Glory. Let me ask you something. Do you need a Knickerbocker Glory? Do you need that? Because that's what God has for us. That's what God has for us. I think we need to have a Knickerbocker Glory Sunday on the first Sunday where the pandemic is lifted and we're back here 100%. Uh, you know, if, you're, if your thumbs up, just put a thumbs up, you know, on your Facebook page or you know, give your thumbs up to somebody in the room or just give your thumbs up to God. You know, God has, has grace and love and mercy and he just, it's overwhelming. And we just respond to that by saying, you know what, Lord, I, I love you and I want to follow you and give my life for you. That's the purpose of this series and that's what it means to live in the victory of the cross. So, that's where we're going, and we pray you'll just continue to join us on that journey. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for each and every person that's gathered here. And I want to thank you for each and every person that is, you know, just hung in during this talk and this sermon to sit at the foot of the cross and to see these four pictures and how each one of them paints a different element, a different aspect of our great salvation in Jesus Christ. And I just pray that even one of these pictures would be one that really hit home, one that really uh, uh, helps us to understand even more the love of God and that we respond with your love. We respond with the love of God within us that you have given to us and placed inside our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that we would respond with that love for you and for others. We thank you for this incredible new relationship that we have 
in you through faith in what Christ has done on the cross. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring us fully alive in you during these days. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Really looking forward to living fully for God this week. Hope you are too. Living in the fullness of the love of God and what he's done for us. See you soon. God bless. Have a great day. Every knee will bow before him.